Please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the third week in a row that we've been studying the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians. And today we're going to begin with verse 16 and read to the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians 5.16, please follow in whatever version of the Bible you have in hand. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Now let me pause just a moment and take note of the fact that there's a strong possibility that this statement of Paul would indicate that he had seen Jesus in the flesh. The wording would suggest that. Let's look at it again. From now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. And the word translated according by the flesh, or the phrase literally is, by what he is in the flesh. And then he goes on to say, Regarding Jesus, even though we have known Christ by what he was in the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. It's interesting, isn't it? We don't know for sure, but it's quite probable that he did. Otherwise, he would not have used that word or that verbiage. Verse 17, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Several years ago, the ambassador newly appointed to the United States from the South American country of Paraguay was invited to a welcome dinner at the state office. He came, he was warmly welcomed by several people. He was seated with the Secretary of State. The Vice President was in attendance. And the Secretary of State, who was the host, was trying to kind of break the ice. And he spoke to the man who was representing Paraguay. And he says, are you married? And he says, yes, I am. Then the logical question which would follow that is, do you have any children? And then... The man from Paraguay said no, and then he felt like he owed an explanation as to why he didn't have any children. And he went on to say, you see, my wife is inconceivable. Well, from the look on the Secretary of State's face, he knew he had said the wrong word. Then he quickly said, to tell you the truth, she's impregnable. Well, it got worse. It was going downhill fast. And then finally he said, I have to be totally honest with you, she's actually unbearable. (laughs) One of the difficulties of being an ambassador is learning the language 
of the country, especially when it comes to some of the idioms when you go to a new country. There are other challenges when people take on the responsibility of an ambassador. A man by the name of R.V.G. Tasker makes these comments about the role and the necessary character of an ambassador in this world. He says, an ambassador to be effective has to be tactful, dignified, courteous, and persuasive of speech. That's a pretty long list, an impressive list of things which have to characterize such a person. Add to that that the person is an alien in the land that he goes to serve. He has to learn not only the language, but he also must learn the customs of the country and get to know the people. I would suggest that to be the most effective as an ambassador today one would have to have a certain drawing to that country, would have to have at least a desire to grow to love the people who inhabit that country. Not to mention to have a deep devotion to his or her own country of origin, because it's important that that ambassador can communicate effectively and properly represent his or her country. The Apostle Paul, in verse 20 of our text, says, We are ambassadors for Christ. Let's stop a moment and ask the question, To whom does the word we refer? To be absolutely strict in our interpretation, we go to the first verse of the book of 2 Corinthians. And we are introduced to the fact that Paul and Timothy are those who are writing the letter. Probably that is who Paul had in mind. We're not sure, but probably. But by implication of what Paul says elsewhere in the gospel, or rather the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He didn't put any kind of limitation on how we as followers of Christ should imitate him. We're to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. This would also apply, I believe, to the whole issue of being an ambassador. So let's take a moment to consider the ambassador as a person. And let's begin with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. This is his own description of himself. He was also a Pharisee of the highest rank. He said he had achieved perfection, actually, in terms of keeping the law. He was of the tribe of Israel, of the nation of Israel, rather the tribe of Benjamin. He gave us a little background of who he was in the book of Philippians. He was somebody in his world. But then he met Christ. And Christ demolished all the wrong impressions that Paul had about himself. He was known as Saul then. As to what made him a person of significance. Most people who have any degree of wanting to do something in life that's meaningful, most of us at some point have desired to be somebody, whether it's in the world arena or in the church or a combination of the two. But we have to learn, and usually that comes through a certain amount of difficulty, that we, if we're really going to be what God created us to be, 
it will not be something that focuses on us. We won't attempt to build a reputation for ourselves, but we'll recognize that God's purpose for our lives, according to the book of Isaiah, is that each one of us was created for building his reputation. We are to glorify the Lord in our lives. And the Apostle Paul learned that. And so we also love that, learn that, and learn not to love ourselves more than we love the Lord. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Let me stop there for just a moment. This is one of those interesting words in the New Testament. It originally had to do with the labor that a day laborer did and the wage which came to that laborer as a result of that day's work. It later became known as the concept of a person who does what he does, not for the joy of doing the work, but asking what's in it for me. It came to be used to describe people who were politicking, canvassing for elective offices office and selfishly, I might add, not for any contribution that person might be able to make to the welfare of the country that he would or she would represent in office. This idea of selfish ambition is an idea that's rooted in the understanding that the person who demonstrates it is a person who is not interested in anybody else but himself or herself. And we who follow Christ are not to be selfishly ambitious. We are to be ambitious for the glory of God. Last week, we looked at verse 9 as part of our teaching from 2 Corinthians 5, and we saw that the Bible says that we are to make it our goal to please God. All other goals are bona fide by that goal being the overarching goal, and all other endeavors are endeavors which are colored by our commitment to bring honor to the Lord by doing that which pleases the Lord. Paul was a man, after he came to know Christ, he was a different man, wasn't he? We're going to look at what he says about what happens when a person comes to Christ in just a moment. But he was a different man. He says on more than one occasion in one of his letters, once in the Galatian letter, also in the book of Romans, then the letter that was a personal letter from him to Titus, he makes this reference. He says, I am a bondservant of Christ Jesus. What that means is he was a slave of Christ Jesus. In order to be a good ambassador, one must be committed to fulfill the mission that the head of state that that ambassador represents has given to that person. And it's true in the kingdom of God. We know Jesus, when he was standing before Pilate, he said, My kingdom is not of this world in answer to the question that Pilate had posed when Pilate had said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, My king is not of this world my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, then my servants would be about the business of delivering me away from my captors in order that I would not be crucified, but that's not the case. The kingdom of Christ is an invisible kingdom. It's visible in the lives of people in whom he lives. Jesus' kingdom is in the hearts of people who have made him Lord in their lives. And 
it is an expression through their lives of what it would be like and will be like, I should say, when Christ establishes his earthly kingdom here on earth in what the Bible calls the millennium. But we have a king, just like Paul had a king, who was his king. First of all, it was himself. But then, after he met Jesus, it was the Lord. And he humbled himself before the Lord. And the Lord accepted his servanthood, his indenturing himself to the Lord. Also, the Apostle Paul was a student. We don't know all about his education, but he makes a statement about his life before coming to Christ. In the book of Acts chapter 22, he said, I studied under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the leading, if not the leading, rabbinical teacher in Paul's day. It would be like going to an Ivy League school. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, one of the more elite schools in American educational circles. He was one of those individuals. As I already mentioned, he excelled in his being a Hebrew of Hebrews and a practitioner of the Pharisaical approach to Judaism. This man had a lot going for him, but afterwards he was humbled by giving his life to Christ. And then what we notice is that he continued to study, but he didn't brag about his credentials. He didn't talk about Gamaliel and espouse his own viewpoint that he derived from his own mind Rather, he was humble before the Lord. He was a student of Jesus. He had time with the Lord. If we're going to be ambassadors for Christ, and I'm correct, and I believe I am, that we are called into this kind of relationship which gives us standing. We're never going to be king. We gave that up when we gave to Jesus the control of our lives. We're done with that. But when we come before the Lord, and we come to be taught by the Lord, we are in a state we should be of continual learning at the feet of Jesus Christ as he teaches us in his word. So Paul was a student as well as a servant of the Lord. He was actually, I think, one of Jesus' confidants. And you might say, where do you get that idea? Well, in John chapter 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you slaves. For a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. And friends of mine are privy to what the Father has told me. I'm passing it on to you as a friend. This is what Jesus does to us. When we give our lives to him, he begins to speak to us. We know sometimes people say, those of us who says the Lord spoke to me are nuts. We know that. Joy Behar said that about Vice President Pence a couple of years ago. Bless her heart, she doesn't know the Lord yet. We need to pray for her salvation. She could be awakened just like the Apostle Paul was awakened. A person who doesn't have much in the way of respect for people who do hear from the Lord. We don't necessarily hear with these ears, although I wouldn't dismiss that as a possibility, but we hear in our heart, do we not? We see Him in our heart too. Paul, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, he says, I pray that the Lord will enlighten the eyes of your heart. 
We have two sets of eyes, one physical, one spiritual, two sets of ears. Let him who hears hear what the Spirit of God says. We have two sets of both. And they're designed so that we can hear the Lord, see the Lord, and respond properly in being the ambassador that the Lord would have us to be. Do you believe that you are called to be an ambassador for Christ? The Apostle Paul was quite aware of the system of government in the Roman Empire. He would certainly have known that there were two kinds of provinces in the empire. One kind of provinces of the provinces would have been called a senatorial province. The other would have been called an imperial province. The senatorial province was one where there had been complete peace. There was no need for a large contingency of Roman soldiers to keep the peace. And the imperial province was a province which was under the control of the emperor and there were plenty of troops present. Palestine was such a province. There was an occupation of that area, obviously, by a Roman garrison or more than one Roman garrison. But what happened was that when one of those imperial provinces reached a place of peace and there was enough evidence to believe that that province could be shifted over to the jurisdiction of the Senate, then the Senate would designate ten of their members and they would be called in the equivalent of ambassadors. And they would go along with the conquering general to that particular region of the world, and they had three tasks to accomplish. The first of which was that they were to read the terms of surrender to the inhabitants of that region. Secondly, they would develop the boundaries, the borders, if you were, of that province in conjunction with other provinces around. And lastly, they would sit down with leaders whom they believe they can trust in that region and hammer out a constitution that would govern that particular region. Of course, whatever Rome said, the Senate said, would trump that, but it gave them some ground rules that would be at least respectful of the customs that already existed in that region. Then when they would return to the Senate, they would have that constitution in hand, give a report to the Senate, and then the Senate would decide whether to ratify the constitution constituting that province or be done with it. What does that have to do with the Apostle Paul or with us for that matter? The Apostle Paul was given his commission by none other than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When he preached the gospel, he was very clear about what the guidelines were, what the boundaries were, beyond which a person who follows Jesus is not to go, to adhere to the words of Christ and the words of God. And then to let those people know of the covenant which God has made with us through the blood of Jesus Christ, which not only washes us of our sin, but ensures us that we are His forever. As ambassadors for Christ, we have that same possibility as we walk through this life to be His representatives 
Nothing would dignify any human being more than being called to be a child of God. And the flip side of that is to be his ambassador. So we can represent him. And if you think about that, it's nothing to brag about because we don't contribute to our salvation. We'll see about that in a moment. But it's something that gives us encouragement, doesn't it? gives us purpose beyond ourselves, and it helps us to understand we can be part of an enterprise that transcends history because we're participating with the Lord Himself in building up the body of Christ and the kingdom of God on earth, that His will may be done here as it is in heaven. We've looked at the person of an ambassador. Let's look at the purpose of being called to be An ambassador. The scripture says, as we look at verse 18, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, look down the page to the middle of verse 19, where the scripture says at the very last sentence, He, that is God, through Christ, has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The phrase committed to us means literally, this is what it literally says, He has placed in us the word of reconciliation. The word which is chosen by Paul is the word logos, and you probably recognize that word. It's the word which is used by John when he introduces the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Then he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's conceivable. Not necessarily true, but it's conceivable. That part of what Paul is writing here is that the word, Jesus, has been planted in us, and he is God's last word when it comes to this whole matter of reconciliation which we're going to continue to look at. But at least it's the Word of God, which is a word of reconciliation. The Bible is all about God's wanting to reconcile us to Himself. So let's go back and look at the introductory statement here in verse 18 one more time. Now, all these things are from God. What would all those things refer to? Well, it would refer, of course, to everything that's occurred, but... The, the near context is verse 17. Let's look at it. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. And the words new creature are indicative of this truth. That we, when we are born again, we are not just people who receive a makeover, but God, in effect, starts from scratch. There is nothing but death in our spirit. And He gives us life It's like ex nihilo, out of nothing, like when he created the world. That same idea is conveyed in this new creation. And the old things have passed away. The word translated passed away is a tense of verb, which means something happened and it cannot be undone. Never can it be undone. So the old Mike Woods passed away. That Mike Woods is dead. The old man died in us when we received Christ. And so, what a beautiful statement and also what encouragement 
to know that we are new creatures in Christ. And part of that would involve the fact that we have the power to live the life that the Lord has given us to do. We still have, as we saw last week, the tendency in our lives, which the Bible calls the flesh, to rule our own lives, to make our own decisions. After all, the Apostle Paul has said we're not to do anything out of selfish ambition. And that word which is translated, one word in the original language, selfish ambition, is found in the listing of the deeds of the flesh, self-interest, all those things that are self-hyphenated. We still have that capacity. However, we do not have to be ruled by those things. We do battle those things. The Bible says that the spirit wars, that is the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and our wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. But we don't have to be governed by them. We don't have to be overcome by them because of the presence of the Lord in our lives. Let's read a little further. The first thing about this ministry of reconciliation is that it's all of God's work. Why does it have to be all of God's work? Do you have any ideas about that? Well, this is why. Because the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who seeks God. These are statements which are found in Romans 3. There is no one who understands. Nobody on his or her own initiative seeks the Lord. Now, we often hear people, and I probably have said this myself, I found the Lord, or I led her to the Lord. Well, look, Christ does use us. Thank God He uses us, right? He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. But who is it who actually saves people? It's none other than God the Father Himself. All this matter of reconciliation is God's doing. In Romans 5, verse 10, this is what we hear the Word of God saying. While we, that would be we who know Jesus Christ, while we were enemies, listen carefully, we were enemies, to God. We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, who sent His Son to take our place. You and I cannot contribute one iota to our salvation, our justification. We have to be people who recognize that and understand the importance of our indebtedness to the Lord. The second part of 18, He reconciled us to Himself through Christ. It is a personalized kind of ministry we have. We can't talk about being reconciled to God if we haven't been reconciled. It would be so much intellectual churning and misrepresentation. But we are people who know what it means to be reconciled by God. Do you know you've been reconciled to God? Do you know that what we're looking at here today, that we who know Christ have been given an opportunity to participate with Christ in doing the most important thing we could ever do in helping people come to Christ because God is glorified in that. Look at the first part of verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Reconciling the world. In the book of... 2 Corinthians also, in fact, just write up the page, just glance up the page for just a moment. Verse 16, we looked at it, therefore from now on we recognize no man according to the flesh. No man is to be judged according to the flesh. Now we're living in tumultuous times in this nation. 
there hasn't been a time like this in terms of internal upheaval since the 1960s, and this may overtake it in terms of the turmoil. And part of it has to do with the great divide that exists between people who have decidedly different political points of view, people who have differences regarding race and all sorts of things. Now look, we have not been called to settle all the problems that we see around the world. And ultimately, ultimately, we who are ambassadors for Christ are representing Jesus. And when we help people come to know Christ, we offer ourselves to the Lord. We can't force His hand. But we offer ourselves to the Lord to be instruments of reconciliation. And God chooses to use us. Then that is the beginning point of changing a culture. A culture is changed by people's hearts being changed. Because people make up a society or a culture. So all of us have the capacity to be part of the solution to the dilemma that we face. The Bible says in Galatians 3.28, it says, In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. almost forgot that one. That would have been too bad, wouldn't it? But we're all one in Christ, aren't we? All of us are one in Christ Jesus. So, we need to love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. Don't compromise the gospel. Not at all. Share the gospel boldly and lovingly with people. Ask God to use us to be ambassadors so that people who are opposed to Christ might be convicted by the Holy Spirit and change. They too can become people who are new people in Christ, just like we have come to know Jesus as our Lord. The Apostle Paul talks about his being an ambassador in chains in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 20. In Philippians, he talks about his life as a prisoner. And he was already an ambassador. He knew that. This is what we hear him say in Philippians chapter 1. This is what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Then this is a man who's in prison saying this. I want you to know it has been an opportunity for the advancement of the gospel. As a result, he went on to say, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. That would be all over Caesar's palace. Throughout the whole palace guard. And guess who the Caesar was, by the way? It was Nero. He was... Satanic, to say the least. The whole palace guard, everyone else, that I'm in chains for Christ. And most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged more to, have been encouraged to preach the Word of God more fearlessly than they otherwise would have. Chains around his arms. Some of you believe that you're in a sort of prison. It may be a relationship that is prison-like. It may be an economic situation that's very difficult, maybe a physical problem which you face. You plug in that which you consider your prison. In 1974, many of you were not even born in 1974, an article appeared in Christianity Today 
magazine. And it reported a testimony of a formal, formal, former, excuse me, criminal in the Soviet Union. And this is what he wrote about that experience. Among the general despair, while prisoners like myself were cursing ourselves, the camp, the authorities, while we were opened up our veins or our stomachs or hanged ourselves, the Christians, often with sentences of 20 to 25 years, did not despair. One could see Christ reflected in their faces, their pure, upright life, deep faith, and devotion to God, their gentleness and their wonderful manliness. This was an all-male prison, of course. Became a shining example of real life for thousands. Those people, like the Apostle Paul, understood the sovereignty of God had permitted them to be where they were. And they were wanting to be tools in God's hand. Most of us have some kind of cramping of the soul in our lives. Most of us have some issue that has the tendency to want to rob us of the joy of God's salvation in our lives and the peace which passes all understanding. Look, our problems are hard. Your problems are hard. But what we need to take note of is that God uses problems and problem situations especially to make us more useful to himself. To glorify the Lord and accomplish his purposes in this life. Just like the Apostle Paul. He was a new man in Christ. He had a different perspective. He was no longer living for himself. He says this in verse 15. We no longer live for ourselves. Now we live for the glory of God. And so it did not matter where he was. It did not matter what his situation was. Isn't that wonderful to know? That as long as you and I are drawing breath and we have our senses about us, we will be able to be used by God. And even a jail cell. Paul's, for instance, or this man by the name of Karloff, who became a follower of Christ, by the way, and was a leader in his church in the Soviet Union. I'd probably gone to be with the Lord by now. Those people were used. Now let's go back to the text to look at other things we should know about this ministry of reconciliation. Number one, God initiates all of it. It's a personally experienced message. It's not something that we just read and learn and spill off. It's something that comes to us in our own lives and then we have credibility and the power of God when we give the, are given the opportunity. But in the middle of 19, it says, not counting their trespasses against them. This is awesome how the Bible says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we're in Jesus Christ, what does that mean? We are free from the penalty of sin. We're going to see why in just a moment. He goes on to say, as we read further in verse 19, moving to verse 20, He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We've already looked at that. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We beg you. That indicates that we're not trying to browbeat people. You can't browbeat a person 
into following Jesus. We are to beg them. That's a strong word. But it's indicative of the fact that we're to be people who love people. And we recognize the Spirit of God has the power to change any heart He wants to. Independently of any kind of effort on our part to get people saved. I remember when I first was hoping that I could be a tool in the Lord's hand in the ministry of reconciliation. And I tried my dead level best to do it. But I came up empty time after time. And I thought, what is wrong with me? And then it dawned on me, I've just got to let go and let God. And the result was, some people started coming to know the Lord. I shared the gospel with him, same gospel, but I was not trying to force the issue with people. The Holy Spirit works in the hearts of people to draw them to Jesus. We need to respect people. That doesn't mean we don't share the truth with them. We have to tell them that they're sinners and that their sin separates them from God. If something's not done about their sin, they will stand in judgment Not just for a moment, but forever. And we need to preach the cross to them, what it signifies, and the resurrection of Christ. We need to give the whole gospel. But we do it respectfully and in dependence upon the Lord and watch the Lord work. Here's the last thing. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is one of the most powerful statements of the gospel in the Bible. And it carries with it the final peg in the process of the gospel. Christ became sin. This is how God reconciled us to himself. Through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There's a word that's used in conjunction with this idea of reconciliation, the word reconcile means to thoroughly change in its most basic meaning. It was used initially to describe the exchange of money for goods, the swapping of goods, bartering, trading. It later came to mean the idea of an enemy becoming a friend. A Greek historian by the name of Xenophon wrote about the great Persian emperor Cyrus and one of the men who had led a rebellion against Cyrus came in humility to Cyrus and they were reconciled to one another and to Cyrus's credit, he had the power and the willingness to forgive, to be made right. We know that's what's happened to us in Christ. We've been reconciled to him by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And... This word imputation is best illustrated and understood, I think, by borrowing something out of the writings of Paul. Perhaps you know the little book, the one chapter book as we call it, was a letter from Paul to a man named Philemon. Philemon had a slave. His name was Onesimus. Onesimus stole something and then ran. He made a beeline for Rome, thinking undoubtedly if he got there... He would be lost in anonymity where there were many other runaway slaves at that time. As God would have it, the paths of the Apostle Paul and this man, whose name Onesimus, crossed. Now, 
What was Paul doing in Rome? Was he on a sightseeing tour? He was in prison, wasn't he? In Rome. But God had them come together. And Philemon's slave, Onesimus, came to know Jesus. So, as they talked, it became clear to Paul, Onesimus is my child in the faith, just like his master, Philemon, is my child in the faith. And he said, Onesimus, you need to go back and turn yourself in to your master. And so he wrote a letter, the letter to Philemon. And he said this. He said, if he owes you anything, be sure to put that to my account. I'm going to pay his debt. He didn't have to do that, did he? I'm talking about Paul. He didn't have to do that, but he did it. Why? Because he loved him. He loved Onesimus, but he also loved Philemon. He knew that their relationship would be stronger if there was reconciliation. And that was what Paul wanted to do. We who know Christ, the impossible has been done for us. I've said it already today. We could not do anything to secure our salvation. God did it all. And He imputed, transferred the perfection of Christ. Believe this it's true. The perfection of Christ who fulfilled all the law to our side and Christ became sin on our behalf. He took all of our sin upon Himself. Christ did. Not just yours, not just mine, not just all of us collectively in this room, but all the sin of the people who inhabited earth. He took all that upon Himself so that we could be saved and have eternal life. Isn't that awesome? Ambassadors for Christ. It's great to be in the family of God, isn't it? But don't rob yourself or God of His glory by not becoming His ambassador. You can do it by the power of God. Because we know that this whole idea is maybe said a different way, being witnesses for Christ. But we know from Romans, excuse me, Acts 1.8, where the Bible says, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea rather, Samaria, the remotest part of the earth. Would you bow in prayer? Lord, we just come to you today and we're humbled at the thought that we have been chosen in Christ before the creation of the world, to be holy, set apart, Lord, to be your ambassadors. Oh, Father, we pray, first of all, saying we're sorry for not understanding. Or if we've understood, we've pushed it on the back burner of our lives. We want to be a whole host of people who enter into the ministry of reconciliation with renewed hope in renewed vigor as we trust in you for the power to do it by the Holy Spirit of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.